All right, we have hit the century mark on the Locked On Syracuse podcast, episode number 100. We welcome you in, Tim Leonard, Tyler Rocky. You can follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. Can you believe it's episode 100, I know, happy Ty? 100 to nuts. you, Tim. I, I, yeah, it's really flown by. I guess that's what happens when you're doing the the daily stuff. So I guess with with 100 episodes and we're going five days a week, that right there is 20 weeks Uh-oh. now that we've been with you, yeah. Orange Nation. So it, it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, here's to 100 more. Yeah, and for those of you that have been with us since episode number one, we appreciate you, even if it's very little of you. And it's been fun to to do this throughout the 20 weeks now, I guess it's been. And honestly, it doesn't it's been... feel like 20 weeks. When you, no. I feel like 20 weeks feels so much longer than 100 episodes, doesn't it? Yeah. Which is weird because even with usually, the volume that we put them out, yeah, usually weeks sound less than a month, maybe like four weeks, one month. I don't know, but yeah, whatever it is, it's it's about twenty weeks. It is a hundred episodes, and it's been a fun ride so far. And I'm sure we'll have a couple hundred more at least, and we'll see where it goes from here. But some a couple quick things of business to get to before we sort of jump into today's episode. We are going to have some fun at the end and do something for the 100th episode in our Fantasy Draft Friday. Also talk about an article that Matthew Gutierrez put out kind of comparing the newcomers on the Syracuse basketball team to who they resemble, Syracuse players of old, and we'll get into our thoughts on that. But two quick things. First off, uh, John Swafford retired, the ACC commissioner. That came out yesterday, early on, in the day and that's the guy who brought Syracuse to the ACC tie goes out now I think everyone was happy with what he did kind of a big move this past year was bringing in the ACC network and that was a huge undertaking which has caused a little bit of friction I think originally but now it gives people more ways to watch Syracuse lacrosse and Syracuse basketball and Interesting that he now steps down given the time period it's in, but I'm sure they'll have a contingency plan and come out with a new commissioner soon. Right, and so he'll finish out the 2020-2021 the seasons, but yeah, I think it is important to note he was the guy in charge when Syracuse got brought over, and I mean, this guy has expanded the conference a number of times. They started at, I believe, nine teams when he took over, then he got it to 12, and now it's all the way up to 15, so I mean, he's added two-thirds of, of what the conference initially was to its current roster and then also you think about roping in notre dame for that for basketball and some of the other sports too so i think when you think of the brands that he brought to this conference even though he's branching out of the the stringent coastal being that the acc used to be he has brought in a, a whole new audience to the acc i mean he's gotten some some midwest love with Notre Dame and I guess Louisville in a sense if you count them and then Northeast with Syracuse Boston College so he's done a lot of really good things for this conference and I think the ACC network too even though it probably took a little bit longer than most people would have liked yeah. to get that thing up and running I mean you think about the Big Ten was really the first one to get this thing going and they've had their network out for quite some time now and now the ACC is getting involved and with basketball now you can see all these big games throughout the country and I think that's really big for expanding the brand of this conference 
Yeah, definitely always fit the bill at the ACC. Just kind of a good Southern gentleman when you watched him <laughs> do his speeches and stuff. But the other thing is, Wagner is now on the 2022 football schedule, and that is now final. They got Purdue that year, so that came through actually a couple of days ago. Last time Syracuse played Wagner, they won 10 games, so hopefully that's a good omen for them to add what will likely be an easy win to that 2022 schedule. But jumping into this article now that Goody wrote, and obviously the four newcomers for Syracuse this year, Alan Griffin, the transfer, Kadari Richmond, Woody Newton, and Frank Anselm now make up that freshman class, which is up in rankings recently. I think we'll we'll touch on all these. Goody wrote one one guy for from Syracuse's past, a former player that might resemble their game. Alan Griffin, to me, is probably the toughest one to compare to another player. Goody's comparison was Malachi Richardson. And the thing I'll say about that is I think it's about as good as you can do. I was racking my brain, couldn't really find anyone else because Griffin's kind of got a weird game. He is a very good three-point shooter, and that's where the correlation is. We'll do some catch-and-shooting like Richardson. I feel like Richardson's more of an off-the-dribble attacking scorer than maybe we'll see from Alan Griffin, at least in his first year. Because when we talked with our pal Tristan at the Champagne Room, that was kind of his big takeaway. Someone who followed his game and followed Illinois was that Alan Griffin's got to work on his ball handling a little bit, but he's also a really good rebounder. So I think he's a better rebounder than Richardson, but maybe not as gifted initially of a ball handler as Richardson. You know, it's interesting you bring up that you think he's the toughest. I'd actually argue he's the easiest to pin a comparison on because we've seen college tape on him. The other three guys, we haven't seen any college tape on him, on them. So... I think in that regard, you look at Griffin, a guy who you've seen on the floor before, and while Malachi, I think, is a, a little... It, they do some different things, but I think largely the comparison is right. So Griffin's a little bit better shooter. He, in his most recent season, in comparison to Malachi's freshman season, shot the ball 5% better from three, 12% better from the field. But you're right, Malachi's definitely a better ball handler. He's good at creating his own shot. But they're both really good off the catch, and they're both really good coming off of screens as well. And I think what we're going to see out of Alan Griffin is we're going to see a lot more attacking because that's what you kind of have to do in the Big Ten as a wing or or a two. You have to be a good attacker as well on top of being a good shooter. And that is probably why Alan Griffin was maybe didn't get quite the what he was looking for minutes-wise is because they yeah. had really good attacking guards at Illinois, like an Io DeSumo. So when he had to deal with that, like, yeah, he was, I think, I think we have yet to see the best of Alan Griffin in terms of getting to the rim. I think he's a little more than just a shooter. I think we're going to see him get a little bit of a head of steam when he he starts going kind of like what Malachi did. I think people pinned Malachi as a shooter, but he was obviously a lot more than that. Yeah. I think they're both big guards that, honestly can play sort of both spots in the zone, 6'5", 6'6", in that range. I think Griffin's going to be a very good defender, kind of a very good character guy or IQ guy when he's on the floor. Gonna make yeah, I don't some know character guy. <laughs> like, yeah, character. He, he had his runnings at, at Illinois. Right. But. Well, I, I guess what I'm saying is like the way Joe Girard was always hustling. From what we've heard, he's just a fun guy to watch and a fun guy to have Right. He was a team. fan favorite. Yeah. So 
and Malachi was too. I, I think Goody even said in his article that Malachi's production his freshman season was about 13 points a game, almost 14, had that great run. Probably not going to maybe get quite as much from Griffin in his first year, but I wouldn't be too shocked, depending on when that first year is, I guess. And obviously, I think we're both on the side of the optimistic side that he does get a waiver passed. So Kadari Richmond is the the other um, guard, I guess, in this sort of newcomer group, and probably my favorite freshman of the group. Goody said Mike Benajay for him. And at first, I kind of was a little hesitant I racked my brain a little bit. I, I think that's probably the best comparison. He's not quite as good of a shooter right now, at least, as Benajay, but everything you hear about Richmond is his ability to attack the basket. Jim Beheim has been very bullish on that. He says he attacks the basket as good as really anyone they've had recently, and that's what you're really excited about with him is his pick-and-roll game, his driving, attacking ability, which obviously Benajay was really good at. And I think that's a, a pretty solid comparison overall. Yeah, I think it's all right. I think the the shooting element, though, is what's really a big thing because Michael Benajay was a phenomenal shooter. I mean, this is a guy who shot almost 40% in each of his last two seasons from distance. I always thought, and yes, Michael Benajay was great at getting to the basket on top of being a good shooter because once you, you have the respect of the defender as a shooter, you have that ability to blow by them. But... I don't think that's where Kadari's game is at right now, and who knows if it will get to the level of shooting that Michael Benajay got to. I almost see him as a little bit more like a, a Michael Carter Williams type. And I was going to say that. Yeah. In the in the fact that super long, I mean, again, these are all big guards, six six guys that are playing the the point guard position. You got a good handle on the basketball and a facilitator off the dribble. I feel like. Michael Carter-Williams was kind of Mike Benajay without the jump shot. And, and that's kind of what I see Kadari Richmond as. A guy who can get to the basket, and he's got the ability to facilitate outside. And, and he doesn't have necessarily that shot, but he can get to the basket. He's aggressive, head-down, downhill guy. Yeah, I think he has shades of both of them. I'd say he has to prove himself as a facilitator a little bit more to get to the, especially the Michael Carter-Williams level of facilitating. But the way he attacks the basket, honestly, and this is maybe a, a comparison that some fans might not like as much, but kind of a pre-injury, like, junior year Frank Howard a little bit, too. Because Yeah, I thought about that, year, too. Because he, yeah. he would not go to the basket his the beginning of his senior year because he had the injuries that he was right. dealing with. So you never saw him go to the basket, but, I mean, he, he relied on that shot. But before that, you are right. And he was a guy who got to the basket, and that was kind of his M.O. Yeah, and I think he's similar skill set, similar frame. I would say Kadari's actually a little bit bigger than Frank. But Frank was a big guard, 6'4 at the top of the zone, had longer arms than most 6'4 guys, good defender. I think we'll see shades of that a little bit, too. I don't think he'll be quite as good as a pull-up jump shooter as Frank got to, but almost the way that Frank wasn't as much of a facilitator and as Michael Carter-Williams, and I'm not saying that Richmond is going to be like a turnover guy or anything like that. I think Howard had some flaws, but he also had some really good things, so... You can never have a perfect one-to-one -one comparison with these guys, but I'd yeah, say... Yeah, I will say, though, too, 
your facilitation is only as good as the guys that are finishing for you as well. And <laughs> Michael Carter-Williams, I mean, he had James Sutherland. He had C.J. Fair. Those were the guys that capped off a lot of his baskets. And when when I think about that, I I, I think, like, who is going to be that guy for Kadari? Is it going to be Frank Anselm once they get a little bit of chemistry together going? Or who's it going to be? Because they're going to have to figure out that that position, the, the center position moving forward especially from, from an offensive standpoint. So two guys down and two more comparisons to go. We will discuss Woody Newton and Frank Anselm's former Syracuse comparison in just a second. Before we do that, got to tell you about our favorite protein bars on the entire market, and that is Built Bar, of course. Built Bars are tasty and healthy for you. A protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. They've got 16 amazing flavors, coconut nut-free flavors, And their bars are covered in 100% chocolate, soft and easy to chew, and low-calorie, low-sugar, but they somehow have that high-protein and high-fiber that is so great for finishing up a workout with a nice, delicious treat that can help you lose or maintain weight. So go to BuiltBar.com, use our promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get $10 off that first order where you can customize all your amazing flavors, throw it into one box, and get it to you right now for $10 off by using that promo code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com. Okay, two more newcomer comparisons to get to from this article over at The Athletic from Matthew Gutierrez. We got Woody Newton, Frank Anselm. We'll start with Woody, who has been committed for a while, forward 6'8", 190". And I think this comparison is spot on for Matt here. B.J. Johnson is the comparison. Didn't have the greatest Syracuse career. Only averaged like four points a game in his final season before transferring. And I think Woody will do better than that. But I do feel like when I watch B.J. Johnson's tape again, when I watched Woody Newton's tape, it's basically spot on in terms of lanky forward who... I hope Woody could be a little bit better at the other stuff, rebounding-wise, than Johnson, but pretty athletic, pretty fluid jump shot, and could score from kind of all three phases on the court. You know, I'm going to flock away from the pack once again here. I actually look at Woody (laughs) Newton, and I almost see him as a little bit of Marek in him. A guy who is a grind. I mean, you watch his tape. He's on the floor most of the time, diving after a loose ball, not quitting on a play. If a guy gets a rebound and he doesn't have his head on a swivel and he puts the ball below his chest, he's there to rip it away from him and turn it into two points for his team. So I look at him as a guy who he plays through every play, a grinder. He's going to make the little things happen for you on the floor. And that's why I see a lot of Marek in him. Maybe he's got a little bit of a better jumper. You'd hope so. So maybe in a sense, this is a guy you're looking at who is very similar to Marek, a hustle guy, but has more of a jumper that you were hoping Marek would develop that he really has not seen come to fruition quite yet. Yeah, and part of that has been the injury, I think, with Marek. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I see a lot of that. I think the thing that's tough for me is Marek in transition, the way he, I mean, he drew the Magic Johnson comparison, right. jokingly, but the way he is a facilitator. I mean, at times he was the highest assist man on the team last year and was actually kind of like the point guard that you wanted to have the ball barreling downhill in transition on a fast break because he's such a good decision maker in that setting. So I think Woody has room to grow there. But again, this is going off 
his high school tape. And candidly, I have not seen Woody Newton play in person. Things will change, obviously, in his development as we go from his freshman season to where Marek is at at this point now, entering a senior season. But, And like I said, you only can really take shades from one or two players here. I do feel like B.J. Johnson's pretty spot on with him, though, just in their sort of frame. And I hope Woody gains a couple pounds and blossoms into a little bit better of a rebounder. He kind of has a little bit Robert Braswell in his game, yeah, too. Yeah, I think that's that's also another spot. And I think very similar to Braswell is it's going to be tough to find him minutes, too, because the places yeah. that he's supposed to play these next couple of years is going to be very clogged up with bodies and guys with better rankings than him, too. So where will he fit into the mold? That's what we're waiting to see right now, and that's kind of the same situation Braswell found himself in. Yep. So Frank Anselm, the last guy to compare here, and Goody went with Tyler Roberson, one of your favorite players. Oh, Ty. yeah. I, I like this one. I think Anselm is the quality with him that everyone should be really excited about from hearing his high school coach, from watching his tape, is rim running and his ability to go up and down the floor. His high school coach has even said he's like a gazelle at times when he goes up and down. A guy that is still raw, didn't start playing basketball until not that long ago, has to work on his jump shot like Roberson, but around the rim, he gets the ball, he puts it back for dunks, he's good at catching alley-oops, you throw it up to him, he'll go get it. And he has some of those Roberson traits that really junior year when Roberson had a better year, I'd say, than his senior year. I would say that's something that we could expect from Frank Anselm pretty early on, and then maybe he rounds out his game more and adds hopefully a better free throw shot than Roberson. He definitely has the longer reach, and I think while Roberson was always a, a pretty good defender, he wasn't necessarily a shot blocker. He was more of a shot alterer. I think Anselm's a guy yeah. who's going to be more of a shot blocker, but I do like the Roberson comp here because active guy, super athletic, and he runs the floor. He, he plays really hard, and this is a guy who can play above the rim. I mean, think of the iconic picture of Tyler Roberson's career. It's that game at Cameron Indoor where he's skying high yeah. and grabbing an alley-oop with one hand that, honestly, the pass wasn't that great, but it was in a place that only Tyler Roberson could get it, and he went up and he put it home. So that's kind of what I think of with Anselm, too, because... Syracuse has not had a lot of very coordinated big guys, and Roberson wasn't the most coordinated, but I would say of all the guys that have come through recently, he's right near the top, if not at the top, of the, of coordinated big guys on the roster. So when I look at that, and, and you hear, heard Anselm's coach say that hand-eye coordination is one of his strengths, and that makes our eyes light up because we haven't seen that out of a, a Syracuse yeah. big man in quite some time. So with Anselm, I think if he's a guy that runs the floor and can make some of those highlight plays, those exclamation point plays, and it gets rewarded that way, that that's going to be really cool to see. And I think that's what Syracuse probably anticipated when they got a guy like Tyler Roberson, and now they've got that second go around now with Frank Anselm. Yeah, it's so funny hearing you say Syracuse hasn't had a lot of coordinated big guys. And I totally agree with you. I mean, that and was listen, our Syracuse isn't alone. Reaction. There's a reason why big yeah. guys have this this stereotype about them that they're not very coordinated. It's because they grow at a much different pace than the average human grows. So they have to adjust to their body, especially at the college age. I mean, you hear all these guys, oh, six-inch growth spurt. That messes with your body a lot. 
And when you have right. to go from being a guard at six foot three, six foot four, and now all of a sudden you're a center, that takes a little bit of, of growing into your body. And that's why it's so tough for a lot of these guys to have that coordination. Yeah. I'd say they've had a lot of guys that came in underdeveloped and haven't quite developed, like maybe we would have hoped or maybe we would have thought they would develop at that point. But who knows? I mean, Barama Sidibek kind of had a, a late season resurgence this right. past year. So. I will say this. You want to know what's very, very refreshing to see from those this list of four? Three what's of those that? guys played on that Final Four team in 2016. So just saying. Yeah. Just saying. That's a good point. You've got some pieces there. Yeah, I like all those comparisons from Goody, and I, I am very excited now to add Alan Griffin and Anselm to this class and kind of in this offseason period, so to speak. I think it it really has rounded out what is going to be four exciting newcomers coming to Syracuse. So we'll have some fun now. It's our 100th episode, as we mentioned at the top. We're going to do a fun fantasy draft Friday, looking back on the time since we've started this podcast. Okay, time to wrap up the week on the Lockdown Syracuse podcast. I guess wrapping up our 20th week of this podcast. We have you every single weekday. Today does mark episode 100 here on this Friday. So we usually do Fantasy Draft Fridays when we can, when we don't have interviews. Today we're going to do one and kind of a, using the timeline of when we started the podcast, which was right around that Wake Forest game, early February, the buzzer beater from... Goodine, right on February 8th, I believe, was that Saturday. We started the podcast the Monday after that, I think, Ty, which was the 10th. Does that sound right to you? Yep. Uh, February 10th was our first episode. I was looking back through the archives, preparing for this part of the the pod, and yep, yep, 2-10 was episode number one. Which has been both the longest four months or whatever it's i I can't even judge the longest two months and the shortest two months also yeah (laughs) right the the first two months were very very tough but since then it's flown yep so anyway we're going to use that as our timeline in the draft here the rules are we get to pick the best moments from syracuse athletics in that time period been some good recruiting wins been some fun games so I think you can kick us off. We'll each draft four guys, Ty, and I I bet I know where you're going with the first pick here. Yeah, I think the first pick is pretty easy here. No doubt, 1,000%. Dior Johnson committing to Syracuse. That's the first topic that we covered in our podcast. And and Dior Johnson, I know, yeah, crazy. But Dior Johnson was a big recruiting win. And on top of that, you've seen the recruiting win Syracuse has gotten as a result of Dior kind of being that quasi recruiter on the trail for the orange so dior johnson i think runaway favorite for the number one moment since we started this podcast so the number one moment comes from a day one moment yeah pretty amazing that first weekend was unreal and we'll probably get to more of that i remember we hopped on the first podcast and we were like man we should have started this a while ago because all of a sudden syracuse has like their best weekend ever And the Dior news, I still remember, like, literally, it sounds cliche, but where I was when that happened. And I remember texting you, or maybe you texted me first, and it was just such a shock because, honestly, I didn't know a ton about Dior Johnson. I mean, I was not expecting to get a five-star commitment from 2021, let alone 2022 on that day. It was so early, kind of out of left field, and... Such a big win for Syracuse that still feels good to reflect back on. Honestly, 
maybe it was even gone underrated because that that was such a big way to start the class, which has now become a lot of fun to talk about on this podcast, that 2022 class, and hopefully continues to get a lot better. I'm going to go with a game for my first pick, and really kind of one of the only games that has been great since we started because we kind of started in the middle of the basketball season, and unfortunately the basketball season was cut short as well, but it's the last game Syracuse played. I think it's the, the top moment watching the team since we started the podcast and it's that unc game in greensboro elijah hughes goes off and they just run them right out of the gym basically on their home court a lot of carolina blue fans there i was there for what is basically the last game that we've seen in in a stadium with spectators since in kind of any sport which is kind of wild because that was early march when it happened for the acc tournament but was a total shock to both of us. I remember doing that podcast from Greensboro, sitting in the arena as they wrapped up that night because it was the 9 p.m. game, and you and I were kind of at a loss for words because it didn't we just feel good. Did not, yeah. yeah, we did not see that game coming, and then also we were like, yeah, I think that was the last game that we'll see from Syracuse this year. It was, yeah, it was surreal that entire night. I mean, the Rudy Gobert happens. That was the the domino that really started it all. And then, yeah, I I always forget that that happened that same night, too, because you're perusing through Twitter. And then I remember, I think there was a fake Woj account that said Rudy Gobert. And I think he also threw Donovan Mitchell's name in there. Again, this was a fake account. And they spewed that off at, like, 7 o'clock. And then at, like, 8.30 it was real. It was coming from the, the real check Mark Woj account. So it was crazy right. that whole time and how everything transpired. And then the next and day then Mitchell see, got it too. Yeah. Mitchell weird, ended up getting it too. On. Right. Yeah. And then, um, the, the next day the big East tournament goes for a half and then they shut everything down and everything just keeps getting axed little by little. And then finally the ACC pulls the plug on the tournament. Well, I think there were teams on the floor for a game and Syracuse wasn't supposed to play, I think until nine o'clock that next night anyway. So they, yeah. they essentially had zero shot of, of playing their game, but it was, it was crazy that entire day. And yeah, that was actually my number two moment as well on this. So gotcha. we're snaking. So you got, you got yep. two in a row here. All right. So my second pick to start off the second round, I guess I, I figured we had to go to with another recruiting win. And I was trying to weigh what was the most meaningful outside of Dior Really was a toss-up for me here, but I'm going to go with Alan Griffin and the transfer pickup from Illinois as my next one, which I can go either way. I think you'll probably go Benny here shortly at some point, but Griffin to me was big because it kind of provides some more spark for next season, assuming he gets the waiver. Now, that's the number one question that we always get asked when people tweet at us, and that's the number one question that we have is about next season is, Will Griffin get that waiver? I feel pretty good about it, given that I feel like they'll give out a good amount of those. The coaching staff has a lot of optimism behind it, too. Yeah, and maybe that's what they're telling themselves. Definitely Bayheim has optimism about it, but he's coming closer to his home in New York, and given the COVID-19 situation. And as we talked about about with Griffin a little bit earlier on, on this podcast, tons of potential 
And Syracuse has now had a great track record with transfers and blossoming them into pretty good prospects. And one more thing on that waiver front, too, uh, on why it's probably pretty likely. I mean, we see a guy, Johnny Juzang, go from being a guy who he was at Kentucky. He's transferring closer to home to UCLA, and he already has his waiver. So you feel pretty good about Alan Griffin if, if that's... The, the method to the NCAA's madness. Now, again, that method could be completely different from when Juzang transferred in, from when Griffin's going to hopefully get his waiver. There Who is knows? No we don't know for them. <laughs> what the method is for the NCAA. But yes, I actually am. I had Benny ahead of Griffin on yeah. my on my list because I feel like Benny signaled a bigger recruiting win. This is a top yeah. 50 guy someone that you've been looking to get into your program. You were in on him really early, and that relationship really blossomed. Syracuse, it seems like, was his dream school. You beat out a lot of the DMV area schools, too, who have done a really good job recruiting, especially in their own backyards. So when I look at that, I think that's the much bigger win for this Syracuse program because Griffin kind of felt like a cherry on top, but Benny is the Sunday. He is the ice cream. He's the whipped cream. But Alan Griffin was kind of more like a cherry on top. You didn't necessarily think you were going to get Griff, but it'd be nice if you did. Benny, it was kind of up in the air. Like you felt good, but you still kind of, you had to go into a, a big recruiting battle and it wasn't going to be easy. So I think that the profile of Benny Williams, he's a big time recruit for this class of 2021. So I'm going to go with him in my second spot. My third spot, I'm going to pick our guys that got drafted into the NFL. It is Sterling Hoffrichter and Elton Robinson getting drafted. First time Syracuse has had two guys picked in an NFL draft since 2014. So Robinson and Hoffrichter getting picked. Those That's going to be my number three spot on here. It was really cool. We talked with Sterling, and he seemed very excited. He was also pretty excited that he's going to go kick in a dome once again. He's relatively close to his hometown as well for where he's going to be playing. And that's a guy who's probably going to start right away. And then Elton Robinson is a guy who could blossom into a nice little role as a defensive end with the Seahawks. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a good one. And obviously a lot of guys, too, that got some free agency pickups or undrafted free agents shortly after. So it was a good NFL drafting process for Syracuse this year, better than they've had in a little bit. Um, my next one's kind of a fun one that I don't even know if you put this down on your list. But the way I worded this for my next pick is Barama beating the Sidibe special. <laughs> and I think you have to okay, go way back. I did not back. have this on my list, no. Right. And in other words, Barama's resurgence at the end of the season, I think was a big moment for how I feel about the future of the center position, how I feel about the future of the team heading into next year, whenever that year is, and how I feel about just Barama as a whole and his health and everything. He had some great games like that UNC game where it was a couple double-doubles in a row. And the Sidibe special, we joked, was when he got to five fouls, just at the snap of a finger and he had that stretch where it was fouling Rapid out fire like, and oftentimes yeah it was fouling out in 10 minutes fouling out in 10 of 11 games or something and it was just really really sickening to watch and really frustrating to watch your center just not be able to play defense without fouling not be able to stay in the game they had to go to jesse edwards late in some games like the clemson game that could have been a big win for their tournament resume and their 
you know, kind of feigning bubble hopes. But then all of a sudden he sort of figured out the foul trouble thing. And we went from, we always had our prop of four and a half fouls over or under on the city right, based yep. special mm-hmm. for each game. And all of a sudden he made me a believer and he started going under pretty frequently. And if we were actually been money on that, I would have lost a lot by the time. Cause I kept <laughs> waiting for him to turn the corner, but now I feel much better about where Barama's at going in to next season. Yeah, that's a that's a solid one. I, I didn't I would have never thought to go there with uh, with my picks. Um, but so you got what do you have? You have one more and then you're you're yeah, right. I, okay. I think I go next is yeah. how the snake works. So I'll take Frank Anselm, the recruiting win there, as we talked about a late recruiting win. And we already touched on his game a little bit, so I don't have to go into too much detail on it. But someone that kind of like Griffin initially wasn't sure we tracked his kind of odd recruiting sort of mindset from the very beginning and how he reclassified. And then all of a sudden his top three was completely scrubbed. And then George is back in late and it's like, Whoa, where'd they come from? But Syracuse started getting those crystal balls was kind of a surprise when they first came in. By the time he announced, we expected it to come and a great way to add another center to the fold of the position of need really, which is what makes me most happy about it. Yeah, the week of Red Autry. I think that is a moment in and of itself yeah. that you could have bunched right. into one. But no, it's fine that you split it up there. I actually, I didn't have Frank on my list. I had, so I had a couple other things because, okay, we each pick four. So I usually come up with a list of eight things and you went off the board on two of them. So I've got three extra ones here. So the one that I'll take to round out my list, I've got Syracuse Women's Lacrosse when they went yep, to Maryland and Mike dropped on the Terps because remember- awesome. The the Maryland lac- women's lacrosse team did not want to drive through a little bit of snow that I'm pretty sure didn't even end up showing up. And Syracuse said, well, okay, if you're not going to come play us, we'll come play you. And they went to College Park and beat down on Maryland, who I think was also a top five team at the moment. And that was just one of the most statement wins in all of sports that I've seen. I mean, we, we love the last dance. That's something Michael Jordan would have done. Okay. You're not going to come to me. I'm (laughs) going to call you soft, call you out. And then I'm going to come to your gym and I'm going to beat you. They went to their turf and beat them like that. I thought that was one of the coolest moments of Syracuse sports that I've seen in my life. I thought that was an absolute mic drop moment and props to those ladies for doing that. So the other two things that I had on here, Elijah Hughes making the all ACC first team uh, that got admitted off the list. And how about the fact that TBT is on? I mean, we're longing for sports and TBT is going to be the first sense of basketball that we're going to get back to on American soil. So I, I feel like that was a pretty landmark thing, not just for, basketball but for sports in general to see that some of these leagues have these plans in place now to get these things going yeah and also shout out to the men's lacrosse team too i'd say because they were kind of national champions this year in a weird way they were number one and looking really good and we talked about when it first happened but that was such a shame that a program that's trying to get back into that national spotlight kind of had that season cut short, but it looks like a lot of guys coming back. I think those lax Sims that they were rolling out too, they were pretty generous towards Syracuse. And I think they only ended up losing one or two games from what I would see on Twitter. I wasn't actively following it, but I'd see it pop up on my feed every once in a while. Yeah. Go ahead and hang the banner. Yeah. Hang the banner for that. Hang the banner for, for basketball too. ACC champions. You won the last ACC game of the year. So go ahead, go ahead, stitch it up. 
Yeah, honestly, the last college basketball game that was decided anyway, because, of course, Big E started and then stopped the very next day. But it's been a fun 100 episodes to this point. That kind of recaps what has honestly been a sneaky good stretch, especially for recruiting. Not so much games-wise, but frankly, that's been because there haven't been that many games. And maybe we would have put a men's lacrosse national title in there. Maybe we would have put an ACC tournament run or an NIT run, which doesn't sound all that great. But still, the games were cut short, and since then, Syracuse has adjusted with a, a very nice recruiting stretch here, especially on the basketball front and even on the football front a little bit. But thanks for listening. If you've listened to any of the 100 episodes, and we hope you'll listen to us next week as well, we'll be back on Monday, probably recapping maybe some Justin Lampson news. At some point, Justin Lampson, the quarterback target for Cuse, is going to make a decision, we think, early next week. So we will recap that and hopefully get some guests on for you guys early next week as we gear up for TBT and following all throughout the summer here on the Locked on Syracuse podcast. So for Tyler, I'm Tim, and we'll talk to you guys on Monday. Oh.